Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for joining us today. I've got a really interesting show today, a very touching show. And I've got Rebecca Ward with us. She's a licensed marriage family therapist. She's a somatic experience practitioner and a certified coach. But she comes at things from a very different slant than just her education. She's got a very spiritual side. And her story is so touching. She wrote a book and the paper tiger syndrome, how to liberate yourself from the illusion of fear. And I think what what brought her to writing that book was her own personal story. And Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us today. And I'd like yeah, for you so to, happy share, to be here. share a little bit of your story with our listeners. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Well, I, fear is something we all grapple with in life. And for me, uh, fear and all of its, its many faces and forms has certainly uh, in in the past has run my life, which was the reason why I wanted to write this book because I wanted to really help people overcome that, overcome fear as as much as they they could. And so, uh, in fact, many people had said once they heard my story, you have to write your book. You got to help people with this. This is such a uh, you know a an evergreen issue for human beings. You know, we we have all struggled with fear. And fear ran my life for many decades. And uh, and one of the things that I, I write about in the first chapter, which is the chapter where I share my own story and my own relationship with fear, was a, a, a number of different uh, experiences in my life where it was running me. And one of the ones that uh, that that is is really quite powerful a story is uh, is the relationship that I, I had with my my children. So as a as a young uh, woman, I I fell in love. I got married. The relationship uh, really sort of uh, followed the the same uh, family patterns from my childhood. I I, I married somebody who's very similar to my father. Uh, he struggled with addiction. He struggled with mental health. Uh, very similar to my father. That's what we do. You know, we typically follow the imprints that we've been exposed to. And uh, he was also a, an extraordinary human being. There were many things about him that uh, were also quite extraordinary, uh, sensitive, kind, smart, uh, caring uh, when we first met. We got married and um, about five years into the relationship, we got pregnant. And I was pregnant with Twin boys, um, pretty uneventful uh, first two trimesters of the, the pregnancy, and uh, and and while that was happening, things were starting to erode in the relationship. Things were not stable. Uh, my husband at the time was struggling with his addiction, and uh, one uh, one Friday afternoon, he and I got into this uh, big argument. And my, uh, my, my, my inner voice said, uh oh, 
you know, I made, I made the wrong decision here. This is not, this is not a good relationship. And I was well into my third trimester and, um, the, that, that weekend, um, I, I wasn't feeling well and I, I didn't realize that what was happening was I was having contractions. Um, and the, my twin boys, uh, were not far enough along to be delivered. So this was kind of a whole new thing for me. I had never had been pregnant. I'd never felt contractions. I didn't know what was happening. Just so happens I had a, uh, an appointment Monday morning. I went to the appointment and as it turns out, I was uh, having early contractions. The loss of those children happened that week, that Tuesday, two days later. I was in the hospital. Uh, the the doctor said, I'm sorry, this uh, pregnancy is most likely not going to be successful. I went into shock. I went into freeze. You know, my whole body, I totally disconnected really well before that those words came from my doctor, I was pretty much in freeze for three or four days. And the my children came into the world alive. And they lived for uh, a matter of hours. And uh, and I, I experienced both the, the gift of life that day. I uh, In the, the delivery of them, I howled, I screamed, I cried. And this voice came in, which I, I believe was, was God that said, there'll be time for grief, but right now be as present as you can with them. And that got me so centered in myself. And I, when they came into the world, I spent that, those few hours just setting every inch of their bodies and loving them. And, um, and then they moved on. It was a both an incredibly painful experience emotionally. The grief was more than I could handle. Um, but it was also this extraordinary experience of bringing life into the world, experiencing the bookends of both bringing life into the world and leave and and the lives leaving that I struggled with for ten years. Um, and the grief and the loss of them turned into this, you know, when you don't process grief, what I've learned since then is that that, that energy can turn in on you, to turn in on your body. And um, what happened was that my body began to form cancers uh, to, to deal with the toxicity of that grief. And so I had to face my own mortality. And the cancer. It was incredibly terrifying. I experienced absolute sheer terror from uh, having to face my own mortality that uh, really for the next few years after that, uh, you know, I, I went into some deep work on myself and uh, had this very powerful experience with a, a therapist myself that helped me liberate my own body and my own self from from fear, from the terror that I experienced uh, from the cancer. We went into this deep uh, intervention that she did with me where I got to go back to that weekend before I lost my children. And I was able to have uh, an opening to the unconscious in that moment with her and had 
this clarity about the conversation I had with them back then, which went something like this. This environment that you're in, I said to them, it's not probably what you wanted. And what I want the two of you to do is to decide if this is the life you want. I love you so much, both of you, so much, that if you don't want to be here, if you don't want to come into this life, I will let you go. I will let you go. And I will hold this grief for you. And my children made the decision to leave. My children made that decision. And what that, what that conversation did for me was not only to liberate myself from the fear I had and the grief that I had and the shame that I had. Mothers are, are we're supposed to protect our children. I couldn't protect them. I couldn't control what was happening to my body. I felt incredible shame that I'd been holding on to for over a decade uh, that I lost them. I, I did this. They, they, they left because of me and the choices I've made. It was just a lot of internalized shame uh, along with that grief that was getting uh, turning into that toxic cancer that I released. And what I felt in that moment was what I had always wanted to feel, which was this mother's love. That once that grief, once that shame lifted, I recognized in that moment I made the hardest choice that any mother could make, which was to let my children go. And, uh, and suddenly that love was so deep, it was beyond any physical connection, any earthbound connection that I had with my children. It was a spiritual connection that still guides me today. And it liberated me from that fear, from that terror, from the shame, from the grief. All those experiences that I had over those 10 years had been lifted. It was the, the most incredible healing experience I've ever had. And in that process, I realized this is something, this fear that I've hold, held on to, the fear uh, that's been manifested in all kinds of emotions like shame and grief, uh, is, had been running me my whole life. It happened way before I lost them. That had always been part of me. And, uh, and so I decided to, to write the book and help people liberate themselves from their own fears. Well, it's it's such a touching story, and and just we all have fears. And in the last three years, going through a global pandemic, that level of fear I think has has accelerated for ninety percent of the people out there. But the one yeah. thing that that you pulled together, you had the connection between the present world that you were in and spirituality. You were yeah. able, you were, and that's a that's a big leap to make at the time that you're you're delivering your babies and knowing that you're not they're not going to be with you for long. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, it was. It was. You know, I had read that for you had said from a young age you were profoundly connected to your infinite source. Yeah. There was something more to life than that you could just see. Talk yeah. to me about that. 
Yeah. So that relationship that I have with my, my infinite source has been part of my life since I was a little girl. And like any relationship, you have to work on it. You can't ignore it. You can't pretend like it's not there, whether it's your, your spouse or your parents or your friends or your kids, whoever, right? The infinite source is, is no different. That's a relationship you cultivate over time. And so I, I had always been in conversation with my source since I was a little child. Every day, taking time to appreciate what I have. I wasn't, I wasn't one for prayer. It was more appreciation. And like any relationship, when you appreciate what you have, you get more of it, right? That's how it works. And so by the time all of this started to happen, in that moment in the delivery room, I was wide open to that connection. And of course, when you are bringing life into the world, you know, that, that source is there. It's helping to, to bring that life into the world. So it was a resource for me, a support for me throughout that entire period of my, my life. I have relied and uh, leaned into that relationship. It has guided me through everything and uh, put things into perspective about what is important. And that's just gotten stronger and stronger and stronger over the years. I'm not religious. I don't, I don't ascribe to any religion. So when I describe myself as a secular mystic, what that means is that I don't ascribe to any religion. What I ascribe to is my personal relationship with my source. And mysticism is all about that. It's all about your one-to-one connection with whatever source you believe in. It can be a science. It can be the earth. It can be anything that you consider infinite. You know, the universe, right? It's something that's bigger than what any other human being can offer you. The support is infinite. And we, I think we thrive when we have that, whatever that is, however you describe that for yourself. Well, so let me, could you use source interchangeably, interchangeably with higher power? Yes. Yes, okay. absolutely. And any of those terms that we use to talk about infinite source, God, Yahweh, uh, Jesus, Adonai, you know, any, any term that we use to talk about science, uh, universe, earth, those things that have infinite capacity to hold what you are struggling with. That is, it's, it's, it's so much more powerful than what any other human being can do. And uh, to be able to hold that with you, whatever that infinite source, and however you describe it, uh, is something that, uh, that I've certainly relied on and uh, encourage people to, to create that for themselves if they don't have it. Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, I encourage people. I don't talk religion. I mm-hmm. talk spirituality. And yeah. whatever that higher power is for you, maybe it yeah. is God. Maybe it's mm-hmm. Buddha. Maybe right. it's the, the human resonance and the earth, whatever it is, right. connect to right. that higher power. So right. I I definitely understand the point that you're making with that. So, yeah. you know, when I, I thank you so much for sending me your book. I have of course. thoroughly enjoyed it. And, mm. you know, I love when I opened it because I'm like, OK, the paper tiger syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And thank goodness you give me the definition paper tiger, something or someone 
that appears to be a threat, but in reality is powerless. That yes. that is a great way to open the conversation mm. because we all we all have them. Yes, yes, we all have them. There are paper tigers everywhere in our world. The things that we turn on the news and uh, often divide us as, as a society. It's all fear. It's all in a paper tiger. Um, most of what we see in our modern world does not reflect real threat. It does exist for sure. But for the most part, we don't live in the wild. We're not, we're, this is where the science comes into the book, which is, you know, we still have this nervous system that is based and wired for threat because that's what we needed in primitive times. There were real tigers uh, lurking in the, the grass and our ancestors needed a nervous system to protect them. It's the same nervous system. It's not any different than it was back then. But the difference is the modern world doesn't present those tigers every day. We are protected. We have the modern you know, uh, all the inner workings of our society, buildings and streets. And if you've ever gone out into the wild, truly gone out into the wild, and I have, and been faced with your the, the real threat of an animal uh, about to attack you, you will know there is a very, very different experience that you have. But that doesn't exist in, in the ways that we experience life on a day, daily basis for most people in the world. What we are experiencing is a paper tiger and that nervous system misfiring all the time to fears that don't exist, um, to fears that are maybe stressors, but don't require this high alert, hypervigilant, high stress uh, response that we have. And it's not only affecting the individual, you know, taking down our body's ability to fight off disease, we have Two-thirds of all Americans are fighting some kind of underlying health condition that largely has to do with stress. And stress is these paper tigers that the system is constantly exposed to. And so we have to learn to, to uh, find the tools and make the distinction between real tigers, real threats, and paper tigers so that we have more control about how we respond to our environment. And that's what the book helps people do. It explains the science, it explains the spirituality, and it talks about how to bring in some tools and practices into your daily life to make those distinctions. Well, and I think, you know, it all, it all goes into that fight, flight, or freeze state. And, yeah. you know, you're right. It's the same autonomic nervous system that we've had in our in our body mm-hmm. since the beginning. But we... Mm-hmm. we we bounce back and forth. And I saw in your book that wave, that window of tolerance, because yes. to, keep, to keep that autonomic nervous system balanced, that window's not very big. I mean, it's <laughs> it's easy for us to get out of balance. And when we yes. get out of balance, you know, okay, I'm fear. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to run from this or I'm going to fight yes. this or, yes. or freeze. And we just... Yes. You know, I look at the fight and the flight as anxiety and the freeze as depression. And that's what I mm-hmm. see all the time in my clients at the Brain Performance yes. Center. And, right. I, and people get that. You know, mm-hmm. it's amazing to me. I've always, when I've never said fight, fight, or freeze. 
that someone didn't just, you know, yes, exactly. Right exactly. away. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they do. That's right. And you talk totally. about that in your book, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You talk about that. And it, in... it... Sorry. The, yeah. yeah, we talk about a couple of things. The, the, the foundational piece of uh, liberating yourself from, from fear is regulating your nervous system learning how to balance what we call the sympathetic, which is your get up and go. You take action in the world. You need your sympathetic to do that. Your, that's the part of your nervous system that helps you take action. But there's also the parasympathetic. And the parasympathetic is the rest and digest part of your nervous system. So if you can think of yourself like a car, the sympathetic is your gas. And the parasympathetic is your, are your brakes. And when those are running smoothly... That car is operating at, at uh, is operating in, in 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 a nice balanced way. Takes you where you need to go. You hit the brakes. It helps you stop. Right? It helps you slow down. But most of the time in our modern world, we aren't one aware of of this nervous system that's running us. That's that's taking us places and helping us slow down. But we are also unaware of when the system is out of whack, when that car needs a tune-up, so to speak. And we, what we need is that regulation to come into play so that we don't hit the brakes, go into you know, full throttle, um, take our, that car, that body, that nervous system out of, out of whack and cause anxiety, panic, impulsivity, defensiveness, reactivity, angry, anger, our inability to sleep, those racing thoughts that keep us up and uh, cause us to feel overwhelmed and stressed. That system is out of whack when we've hit those breaks. And when we've done that for too long, what happens is both the gas and the brakes get hit. We're trying to slow ourselves down and that system drops into what we call hypoactivation. And that's the depression you're talking about. That's the shut down, burn out that people are feeling right now, just cannot seem to regulate that nervous system. We are just exhausted. So the that regulation of the nervous system requires just a simple adjustment to life that I talk about in the book. And that's that stage one, how to how to liberate yourself from those fears. Regulating your nervous system is the answer. That's the starting point. Uh, you know, you break it down, though, the anatomy of fear, because nobody wants to say, yes, I'm scared to death. I mean, right. it's just it's just not we don't want to say that. We want to say, no, man, right. I got this. I yeah. got it. Yeah. But we're all scared to death at some point. Right. And right. I love the way you break it down. OK, here's the anatomy of fear. OK, mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. I know I have a vagus nerve. Yes. <laughs> right. So you. You really do break it down so nicely. And then when you move into, you know, healing the inner child. Yes. That, and I'm a, I run the Brain Performance Center under the license of a a counselor. So I do a lot Mm -hmm. of psychotherapy as well as neurotherapy. But there's Uh always the inner child. And that inner child may be 24. It doesn't have to be four. Right, right. And the, 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 the beauty of it is healing that inner child, whether you're still as an adult struggling with uh, stressors that involve shame, people pleasing, uh, or 
being resentful or lack of trust. These are some of the, the, the sort of calling card triggers that help you know whether some part of you is still stuck back in your childhood. If you ever feel like I'm not a fully grown adult, that's an indicator that something from your past is still running you. So being mistrustful, being self-destructive, intimidating, common uh, common uh, behaviors that people will identify with that will tell them that some part of me hasn't totally grown up, hasn't totally healed. Shame is very common, you know, feeling like you have to take care of other people or be the good girl, the good boy, or pleasing other people, holding in your emotions, staying small or not speaking up. These are conflict avoidance. That's another one. Those are very common uh, challenges that adults face, and it's not, it affects their lives in so many ways. And those are uh, indicators that some part of you hasn't fully healed from childhood. And well, you know, we've got yeah, about three minutes left before we go yeah, to break. So let's yeah. get through part one, what's really driving us. And let's, t- let's mm. talk, just touch on how it takes a village. Mm, yes. So village, we need our support system. In our country, we struggle with that because our culture isn't, um, you know, we're taught to be independent. And what, what the truth is, is that human beings are pack animals. We need each other. We need each other. So think about the people in your life that are there to support you. And that support system, even if it's just one person or a pet, it can be anyone or anything that is there to support you. That support system is essential for healing. We want to lean on those folks because that is what helps us not only heal, but it increases our longevity. When we have a, a village, a, a group of people that help us thrive, our chances of survival extend dramatically. Well, I think that is you know, so important because it's, it, you mentioned a pet, and I have I have a family, but I also have two dogs. And when yeah. when I can't reach any the the people family, I, I certainly have my two furry friends, and yes. just the relief that nobody greets me at the door the way they do. Oh, absolutely <laughs> I mean, not. Nobody's <laughs> jumping up and down and wagging their tail, no. and it's like they're looking at me. Their eyes are screaming. She's home. She's home. It's so wonderful. Yes. It so is wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. It, I mean, it really is. And I think mm. that we've got so much more to talk about. And there's there's an important part, and I think it comes in the first the first piece, but that's the original blueprint. So mm. what I, I'd like to do is we'll go to break and then in a few seconds, and then when we come back, we'll talk about the original blueprint because that is, for me, one of the first takeaways for our listeners to know that, yeah. you know, we've all had trauma. We've all had, we have fear, but there's something that you can do about it and you can own it and you can correct it. That's right. So yeah. stay with us. We'll be back after these messages. dog or cat getting too Georgie porgy or chubby? 
It seems people aren't the only ones battling obesity. Our pets are putting on the pounds as well. Research shows that 44% of dogs and 57% of cats are overweight. Some might say if your dog is overweight, you probably aren't getting enough exercise. Veterinarians suggest in order to fight the battle of the ball, pet owners should change how rather than how much their pet eats. First, you should avoid feeding your pet penguin or fatty and greasy people food. New types of food bowls have also been invented to encourage pets to forage for their kibble. Studies indicate that foraging or digging around for food stimulates your pet's body and brain, which helps them to lose weight. What's another word that means to forage? Snuzzle. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. So we're back, and Rebecca has been so honest and open and transparent with us. And, you know, she was right up front in the beginning and said, yep, fear has been running my life, and I knew it. And and it, it runs all of our lives at time. And when I talk with people about their fear, they don't feel like that there's a way, you know, they want to plan. Give me something that can that means I can control it. And you talk about in your book, The Original Blueprint. Please mm-hmm. share that with our listeners. Sure, yeah. Well, let me say this first for, for your listeners. There's probably some knowing you have about yourself that tells you something got lost along the way. I'm missing some part of me. And what I would say to you is that's your original blueprint. That's that knowing that somewhere along the line, I lost myself. Or I lost some part of myself in all of the trauma and all of the, the life experiences that you've had, that reconnection to your original blueprint is that thing, that knowing that something about your life is missing. So your original blueprint, is this is how I describe it, your original blueprint is the expression, the purest expression of the human experience of your soul. So when we are born, this is my philosophy, when we are born, we come into this world with that original blueprint. We come into the world knowing that our, um, on a soul level, that we are going to have experiences in life that are going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. And those difficulties are going, by design, are going to take us away from that original blueprint away from that pure self that we came into this world with. And by design, we go through those traumas, we go through the grief and the loss and the struggle and the suffering and all those things that are part of our lives by design. But we are also intended to reconnect with that original blueprint. You know, as we build our wisdom, as we build our resilience, as we go through those moments of suffering and fear, that same mechanism inside you, that nervous system that distinguishes between a real and a tiger and a paper tiger, 
is also designed to help you reconnect with that original blueprint, to reconnect with that pure self and integrate that back into your life. And that happens through resilience. It happens through self-regulation. It helps. It helps happens when we are fully present in our lives. And what it feels like when you are reconnected with your original blueprint is this. That underlying experience that we have of discontent is gone, is largely gone. We feel content. We feel at peace with ourselves. We feel whole. We feel healed. We feel this incredible depth of love that is only available to us if we do all of that healing work. If we get back to that original blueprint, we know we're there because that undercurrent of disconnect is gone. We have liberated ourselves from our fears, from that undercurrent of anxiety and depression and stress and discontent. And that is only that can only be done by you. You are the one that can make all of that happen, that is in control of bringing yourself back to that original blueprint, bringing yourself back to the purest expression of yourself. Well, and and it's, you know, it sounds overwhelming, but it's really not that difficult to do. It's not. No. Yeah. It's, it does require courage because, the you know, most people will say, I don't want to go through all that. I don't want to do that. But what's on the other side of fear, what's on the other side of your, your deepest fears is the liberation. You walk that bridge from fear to safety to love, to like really soul level love with yourself. That is, you can only get there if you walk through your fears. And so that requires some courage, but it's not complicated. It's actually the most simplest thing that we can do, which is to come back to being 100% present. And presence is a word that people have complicated over the years. The simplest way to describe presence is feeling a sensation in your body, whether that's your heart beating or digestion or your feet on the ground, something that tells you you're, to- you're here. It's a sensation in your body. That's presence. That is presence. It's that simple. Just staying present in the moment. And we, all, we talk about that a lot. We talk about mindfulness. We talk mm-hmm. about gratitude. and. Yes. Just being grateful every day, just thinking of three yeah. things that you're grateful for. And yeah. honestly, there's some days that I'm thankful for the same three day, same three mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Three days in a row. That just nothing <laughs> right. wrong with that. That just means yeah. I'm really grateful. That's all. That's right. That's right. Yes. A hundred percent. And, you know, if you have a hard time finding it because you've had a hard day, look down. You have a body. You're here. And that body is healthy. It's present. It's here. Your body is a, a wonderful respite from the mind. We need our minds, but our minds are the ones that that create the the worry and the the uh, you know the anxiety and the depression in in concert with your nervous system, of course. But that worry and those racing thoughts keep us from being present. So if the more that you can connect with your body the more that you find yourself feeling at peace inside, more content inside, 
you know, more present, more present. That's where presence comes is to be in your body. Well, you know, and you make a good point because we place high value on the intellect and, you know, the latest and the greatest. And we ignore Mm -hmm. the critical relationship between the mind and the nervous system. We will. We may be willing to to admit that fear is running our lives on an unconscious mm-hmm. level, but we don't know how to recognize it. Are there some examples that you could share to help people to be able to recognize that? Yeah, absolutely. Simple things like, what is your heart doing in this moment? Is it racing? Is it beating? Do you have shallow breathing? Is there shallow breathing happening? Can you breathe more deeply? Um there's certain indicators that we have too much stress in our nervous system. Um, the constriction in your throat or the constriction in your chest will tell you you're stressed out, that you're feeling fear. So these are just basic examples, but these are powerful ones. Do you, uh, do you often find yourself experiencing dry mouth? Dry mouth is an example of high sympathetic charge. Do you talk fast? Do you move fast? Again, examples of high sympathetic charge. So again, that's anxiety. That's anxiety, that's stress in the, in the body, that um, if we remain disconnected from it, if we remain unaware of those experiences in our bodies, it's going to affect your health because that stress on the body is a constant. And it, it needs space and time to slow down a little bit. It doesn't have to be all day and every day, but bringing in small things to help you slow down, to help you regulate that nervous system and to, to really bring yourself back to presence is the key. Well, and I think everything you say, you talk about when you talk about slowing down, that lowers their stress level, you know? Mm-hmm. That gets them out of that fight, flight, or freeze. And yes. we, I think that we all, not we all, but many of us pride on our, ourselves. Oh, I can multitask. I am mm-hmm. so good at that. Well, yes. you know, and I know that multitasking is not good for the brain. That's right. That's almost impossible to do. It so, is impossible to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. But we've all I would got argue that. It is. Yeah. We've all got that in our head that, oh, that's what I should be proud of is doing that. Right. And well, we yeah, need to do a reset. We do okay. that. Well, nobody's re- no one in our culture rewards you slowing down. There's a reason for that, right? People get rewarded for doing things quickly, for getting things accomplished. Uh, nobody, you know, you get rewarded for your intelligence, you know, your your achievements in life, you know, where our culture is very, very achievement-oriented. And uh, what I would say to those folks, and I, I work with a lot of CEOs who say to me, what are you talking about? I'm not going to slow down. That's what, how I get rewarded. That's why I make the big money, because I'm, I'm working fast. I'm doing things quickly. And what I say to them is that if you want to function at peak performance, there is this sweet spot that we talk about, it, this nervous system that's regulated, where you have more access to creativity, to innovation, to uh, to more relationship-oriented uh, actions because you are present, because you're regulated. You can't operate fast, fast, fast all the time without having consequences. And not just physical, 
but the consequences of not being able to continue to perform at high, high, high activity levels. So there's a little bit of that, like, uh, you know, resistance to it. But what people see after they've, uh, after they've worked with me is, oh, wait a minute. If I uh, infuse a little bit of that slowing down into my daily life, it actually makes me more productive. It actually makes me have more capacity to meet the stressors that are in my life. And, um, and that just increases your performance, your longevity, your uh, ability to relate to other people uh, when we, we bring more of that into our daily lives. Well, thank you for making that point because where I've seen with my clients, it improves their relationships yeah. with their families and their friends. And, Absolutely. you know, that to me is I've seen more gain from just mm-hmm. yeah, working with a client that really, you know, don't know where my marriage is. We're going yeah. through some tough times mm-hmm. and and they're trying to run away from it mm-hmm. because they're afraid of it and they don't want it. But if they can mm-hmm. just slow down, makes everything right. you do better yeah. and gives you but, the time to appreciate what's truly important to you. Right, right quality of life, you know, and, and I think this younger generation is thinking more about that these days, which is a really good thing. I think it's a great thing. I think learn, I mean, one of my favorite mottos is, is I learn from my mistakes. Yeah. And I, and I truly do try to, hopefully I just have to make it once, (laughs) but but not, not always, you know, not always. And I, I think that the key with that is, we have to be forgiving of ourselves, you know, that this life isn't about perfection. It's about progress. And, you know, sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back. Right. And that, and that's how we learn. You just, you learn through mistakes. That's how, what makes you stronger and more wiser. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things that I have found, and I think the global pandemic really helped me to appreciate the importance of community. Mm. That when we when we don't feel that we have a sense of community, I mean, for for a couple of months, you couldn't go to church, you couldn't go to the mm-hmm. gym, you couldn't mm-hmm. go to school. And right. that when you lose that sense of community, that that's debilitating or it was right. for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and also the isolation that we've, we've been in for so long, and not only the isolation, but the mask that many people wore, has impacted our, the, the part of the vagus nerve that, that controls our social engagement. The, everything from your, your neck up is part of your social engagement system. And that's been covered, half of it's been covered, our smiles have been covered, you know, we, uh, we've been withdrawn from each other. So our social systems have, have shifted. They've atrophied is what I I like to say. And what does it do? It makes people more aggressive, makes people more irritable. It can make people feel more of our, our old survival strategies, uh, fight, flight, and freeze. We've noticed there's been an uptick in violence in our country and around the world, right? That isolation has a huge impact, not just on the individual, but on our society as a whole. Well, I think loneliness was more devastating, you know, when I watched to to individuals, you know, young and old, the 
I mean, we wanted to protect our, our older generation, the grandparents. Yeah. So we isolated them yeah. and yeah. and made them so vulnerable. And yeah. I think that if there's one fear that I honestly had from the pandemic was what loneliness was going to do to people. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the suicides have gone up, depression. You know, we it's it. Uh, everybody has to like sort of decide what their threshold is for, um, you know, and with COVID. But my feeling is that there's enough for all of us to go to look at and say the world is safe enough that it's important for us to at our own pace, be out there connecting with people again. It's essential for our, our overall well-being and our longevity that we have a village. We have people in our lives that we connect with. We've been touch-deprived. You know, we, we have not, uh, you know, had that exposure to other humans. Thank goodness for our pets, you know, <laughs> that we've had animals in our lives. But uh, for a lot of people, you know, the isolation has really had a huge impact on their on their overall well-being. So I'm, I'm with, with you on that. Well, you know, just the power of touch. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, when I'm down, when I'm out, you mm-hmm. know, somebody will come home and give me a hug, just a little right. hug. Or, yes. you, know, ta- you know, squeeze my hand. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And that yes. deals a lot with the semantic work that you do. Yes. Yes, and, absolutely. And let's touch on that because not everybody is familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. So somatic is the is the Greek work word for body, soma. Soma is body in Greek. And somatic therapy is really on the on in, in many ways sort of on the cutting edge of, of, of therapy because uh what we've discovered over the last forty years is how much our bodies drive what we think and feel and how we act. And so it's been sort of the missing link, uh, and it's it's changing. It's changing. A lot of people bring somatics into their their work with their clients, myself included, uh, as a somatic experiencing practitioner. And um, it's not solely about the body, but it is in concert with the mind that we think about how our bodies feel. That connection to our bodies is essential for our overall healing. And um, the, the, the regulation of that nervous system is essential. It's not the only thing that, you know, the, there are uh, interventions in the book that I, I talk about, especially with childhood trauma, where we want to bring in the mind. We want to bring in uh, what we call top-down interventions. So body-to-brain is a bottoms-up intervention, and the top-down is mind-to-body. So power of suggestion, you know, we use language to help the mind heal the body um, is one example of, of how we, we heal uh, the two, how we heal the two. Well, I know I use visualization a lot with my clients, yes. and it's not just close your eyes and what do you see, right, but it's close right. your eyes and what do you hear going on in the mm-hmm. background and yes. what do you feel? Are you outside? Mm-hmm. Do you feel the wind blowing? And right. And yes, your senses. Absolutely. And what do you yes. smell? If That's you're at the right. beach, do you you know how, you know that the way the ocean smells and yes. it's it's so much more than just closing your eyes and visualizing. Right. You're happy. But those five senses, the power of observation is one of the strongest powers I think we all have. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And that observation, you know, in, in the book, I talk about this word, what we call interoception. Interoception is the mind's ability to experience the many dimensions that we have in our senses, in our experiences, in our bodies, and, and we're able to describe it. So when you quiet yourself and that connection between mind and body is there, we open up to not only our senses, but our creativity, our ability to, uh, to see and expand our minds and the body, that expansion of what we, we know, we, know we, we ultimately have access to. Um, and, and for many people, that is the spiritual side of it, that we, when we quiet that mind and body connection, we have much greater access to our infinite source. Well, we do. And, you know, that all ties into our belief systems. And yes. we so, we have so many false beliefs that play into. I mean, I talk mm-hmm. a lot about, you know, what what are your healthy beliefs? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And I know you do, too. I think you talk about that in the book. I do. Yeah. So, you know, one of the most common beliefs, I think, just about every human being on the planet has some idea that they're not good enough, that there's some, we talk about it, you know, like imposter syndrome or not being good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. We, we have, we all struggle with that uh, feeling less than, and it's a false belief. There, there's nothing true about that. Every human being on the planet is extraordinary. Every human being in one way, shape or form is an extraordinary expression of the universe in which we live. That's science. We are stardust. We are made of particles from the universe. So you are a micro expression of that and, uh, and deserving just because you're here to live a life of, of an extraordinary life. And so we want to work with those false beliefs because they're an example of not being fully present. They're an example of some kind of conditioning that's happened to you in the past that's still running your life. And they need to be replaced with ones that are healthy, healthy beliefs. So I'm not good enough needs to be something different. It needs to be something that describes the truth about yourself. I am extraordinary. I am, I am alive. I am well. I am vitality. I am power. There are many, many ways to describe the opposite of a false belief. Um, and uh, the, this notion that we're not good enough is just, uh, it's, it's a false belief. It's a nervous. Well, it is. It's regulated and in fear of something. And, you know, yeah. when, when that false belief gets planted in childhood, it mm-hmm. is, you've got, there we go back to talking about that inner child and, yes. and, and how do you release that and how do you let mm-hmm. it go? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the brain, emotional trauma changes the mm-hmm. way the brain's wiring and firing. Right. And once those yes. changes have been made, it's really hard to let, you know, to, to let go of all that. Yes. We've got about five minutes left. And I'd like for us to, I'd like to, number one, have a little bit of time to tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you wanted to just kind of sum up what you would like the three takeaways from the show to be, what would they be? Mm. Yeah, so I would say the most important thing I want your listeners to know is that they, every single person that is listening is capable of overcoming fear. 
that you have everything inside of you to overcome your fears, to liberate yourself from fear and live a full and fulfilling life. So that's the one thing I want everybody to know that, that you have it in you to do that. That's the most, most important thing I want you to, to hear. You have it in you. And there's somebody out there, someone like me, who can help you do that. We don't go through life alone. So reach out. Ask for help. Don't be afraid to acknowledge that you're struggling because we, we, in fact, that's what helps us come closer together, to share our struggles, to be vulnerable, to have the courage to open up and share what we're struggling with. So find a community or find a support system in some way or find a therapist, something that's going to help you move through these fears that you're holding on to because they're not really yours. They're, they're in, a, in a body that needs uh, support and healing to overcome them. So that's, that's very, very important. And what I would also say is that if you are open to this, uh, this notion of uh, some infinite source, that is the other piece that will really help you. And when you have connection to that infinite source, you're going to be more present. So, you know, moving towards more presence in your life is really important. You can get it from nature. You can get it from uh, a religious community. You can get it from yourself, from inside. So there's, there's many ways to find that connection. And uh, lastly, uh, I, I want to say that pay attention to how you show up around other people. Because nervous systems ping off each other. So if you are exposed to something that isn't good for you, if you're watching something on TV that's causing you to feel triggered or fearful, change the channel or turn it off. There's nothing on the news, for example, that you need to expose yourself to that level of fear. That to come back to what is helping to nourish your soul is more important than any news channel that you're listening to. And they all do it. They're baiting you into fear. And it isn't something you even have control over. So come back, turn it off, connect with other human beings. That is great advice. At that yeah. because you know when you think about during the pandemic we had we had that we were so desperate we so wanted to understand and be connected to the mm-hmm. what's going on in the world and then I yeah. know a lot of people had the news going twenty four seven and I'd say well turn it off well I'm not really listening to it but I like to have yeah. it so that's mm-hmm. a great point so if people yeah. want to learn more about you Rebecca yeah. h- how do they do that I know that you you live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, Mm -hmm. how else can they find you in the the last minute we have? Yeah. Yeah. Go to my website. It's Iris, like the flower, I R I S Institute, irisinstitute.com. You can get all kinds of information. There are recordings, guided meditations on there for free that you can connect to. There's, there are resources on there, all kinds of ways. And I would, I would say that you, you might want to pick up my book. I, I think it's a very, very helpful place. If you are, are already on your healing path, it'll support what you're doing. If you're just getting started, it'll support what you're doing. And uh, and then look at the, the look at the other resources on my website and feel free to reach out to me. I'm I'm here. 
to help you. In the last few seconds, I'm going to say, get the book, The Paper Tiger Syndrome, How to Liberate Yourself from the Illusion of Fear. Rebecca, I can't thank you enough for being on the show with me today and, and really, I hope, opening the eyes of a lot of our listeners. Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 